Good morning and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You speakers meeting. My name is Leah and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Sunday, December 29th, 2013. And the share ID number for Friday, December 27th, is 5668. That's 5668. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. Our primary purpose is to abstain from compulsive eating and to carry the message of recovery through the 12 steps of OA to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Susie to read the 12 steps, please. Susie, star one to unmute. Good morning, Susie. Kay from Maine, a recovered compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over foods, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him praying only for the knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, having had a spiritual awakening as a result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you, Susie. I will now ask Crystal to read the 12 traditions, please. Good morning. This is Crystal, recovered compulsive overeater. The Twelve Traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. First, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Second, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, 
a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Third, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Fourth, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Fifth, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Sixth, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seventh, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eighth, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Ninth, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Tenth, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleventh, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, films, television, and other public media of communication. Twelfth, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all these traditions, ever reminding us to place principle before personality. I pass. Thank you, Crystal. The 12 steps, as outlined in the big book, represent a process of spiritual awakening, a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. We submit to a simple process that is not easy, yet takes us to a place we've never been. We didn't even know it existed. The real advantage of these steps is that they are a specific method for producing a personal transformation, a change in the way a person thinks, feels, and behaves. Julie R. is with us this morning to speak about her transformation, what she used to be like, what happened, and what she's like now. Welcome to you, Julie. Good morning. Good morning. Thank you. Um, my name is Julie. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater, and I'd like to say this is an honor um, to do this as part of being a service, which is um, a huge part of my program. So I'm going to just kind of go over, um, you know, what I was, what happened, and where I am today. So I want to do a little bit of qualifying. And on page 21 um, of the big book, it describes a couple different types of drinkers moderate drinker. They have little trouble in giving up food entirely if they have a good reason for it. They can take it or leave it. That was not my experience towards the end of my uh, disease. Hard drinker. The habit might, he might have the habit bad enough to gradually impair him physically and mentally. It may cause him to die a few years before his time. It's a sufficiently strong reason, ill health, falling in love, change of environment, where the warning of a doctor becomes operative, 
this man can also stop or moderate. That's not me either. But what about the real alcoholic? He may start off as a moderate drinker. I did. He may or may not become a continuous hard drinker. I did with food. But at some stage of his drinking career, he begins to lose all control of his liquor consumption once he starts to drink. So that's me. <clears throat> so um, as far as my top weight and all that good stuff, I stopped weighing myself when I was 277 pounds because I couldn't bear to see that go higher. Um, I was in a very tight size 24, which is probably really a 26. I'm 5'2", so that would consider you know morbidly obese. Today, I am still moving towards my normal body weight. I'm a tight size 10 um, and about 168 pounds. So my first recollection of food what, and what it could do for me was I was about eight years old. You know, it was a typical day of tension in my household. You know, I did not have a, a fairy tale childhood, but that's really besides the point. That's not why I am a real compulsive overeater. My mother and my grandmother were uh, having a heated conversation. Uh, it went from French to Indian to English. So I just casually went to the refrigerator. I opened up the door and I made a bologna sandwich but I inhaled it as I stood up. So then I felt this warm blanket begin to caress me, and I ate four more standing up inside the refrigerator. I made another one, and I came to the kitchen table, and I sat there between my mother and my grandmother, acting like that was my first sandwich. The interesting thing was that felt normal. I knew I was going to do that again. And in the big book on XXVII, it says men and women drink essentially because they like the effect produced by alcohol. The sensation is so elusive that while they admit it is injurious, they cannot, after a time, differentiate the true from the false. And that's exactly what had happened. So I continued to use food, but I was somehow able to maintain a normal body weight. I was in and out of the hospital because I was um, born with uh, degenerative knee issues. I was either on crutches or I was in casts. Um, so I was unable to run, jump, skip, or anything like that. So I felt different. Um, I always had to be the one to keep score because I could ever play a game. So I found food. I continued to use it. It made me feel better. It worked. Um, in the big book, same uh, page, they are restless, irritable, and discontent unless they can again, again experience the sense of ease and comfort, which comes at once by taking a few drinks. Um, I couldn't participate that way. So, you know, I started having resentments at a very early age, but I couldn't put my finger on what that was. I would spend endless hours daydreaming. You know, I was going to meet that man. He was going to take me away. I was going to have the white fence, the two and a half cars, the two kids. But it was funny because my daydreaming also would end in some type of tragedy. I mean, the, my husband left me or he got sick. It was really interesting. I never had that fairy tale. Um, and there was one time um, I was having these daydreams because I had two casts on my legs from the ankle to my thigh, and my father carried me outside and put me on the ground and said, just because you've got this issue doesn't mean you can't pull weeds. You know, we were not allowed to feel sorry for ourselves, my sisters or I, my brother. So right then, I started to have resentments against my father. And um, he had these prized snowballs that we were not allowed to touch. They were off limits. <clears throat> and I knew that if I ate them, I was going to get hit. And I was probably around 12. 
but I ate them anyway. I ate all of them. There was probably about eight packages. And it didn't matter that I was going to get, you know, smacked for it. And when he came into the house and he went into the cupboard and they were gone, he asked me, who ate these? And I lied. And I said, it wasn't me. And it was only me or my sister. So I let her take the blame, um, which was, you know, wasn't a very good thing to do. On page XXVI, it says, in this statement, he confirms what we have who have suffered alcoholic torture must believe that the body of the alcoholic is quite as abnormal as his mind. It did not satisfy us to be told that we could not control our drinking just because we were maladjusted to life. We were in full flight from reality. And that's what I was. I mean, to let my sister, who today is my treasured best friend, take, take the fall for that. You know, when I would eat, I would feel that I could do anything. <clears throat> I was a very strong-willed, gregarious child. But once I was alone, I would get into fear, fear of something that was going to happen. And then that would turn into anger. I would blame everyone for everything that was going on in my life. You know, why couldn't I play with other kids? Why did I have this problem? Why couldn't I have a boyfriend? Even though I weighed about 140 pounds and I was a size 8, I felt huge. This was probably a freshman in high school. I remember walking to school and I had a light jean jacket, even though it was August and it was warm weather in California. I couldn't let people in the eye. And But once I took one of my binge foods, I became the ball of the party. I could do anything. You know, you, you let me go and, and take a bag of whatever, have it in my purse. As soon as I started to get anxious, I would eat. It was definitely my drug of choice. Um, I never knew who I was, but I became who you wanted me to be. If you wanted to get high, I got high. I was afraid, but I did it because I didn't want to stand out. If you wanted me to be, you know, helping you with, with schoolwork, I became the brainiac. It didn't, I didn't even know who I was, but I did know that once I ate, I could do anything. My mother said I was getting fat and that I would never find a man looking like this. I was probably between the size 10 and 12. So we went to my first pay-in-way, and that was very exciting. I got weighed in every week. I lost my weight. I got my chip. And I remember the day that I reached goal, my mother took me out for ice cream. That totally didn't make any sense. But yet, that's all that I needed to start. So not to worry, I did another diet. But that didn't last as long. I did not make it to goal weight this time. I started to purge to get to goal weight. But again, I never quite made it. I was like five or 10 pounds away from it. I loathed myself. I was fat. I was ugly. I was worthless. And I couldn't talk about this to anyone but my sister because nobody would understand. On page 20 in the big book, it says, how many times people have said to us, I can take it or leave it. Why can't he? Why don't you drink like a gentleman or quit? Why don't you try beer and wine? My mother would always tell me, you have such a pretty face if you would just lose weight. So I tried another half a dozen diets, which got me farther away from my goal weight. I turned 18 a month after I graduated. And at last, that was my answer. I could move away from my parents. The day that I moved out, I went to a grocery store to shop for my new place. It was, I was alone. I had a great apartment. I bought all the foods that we were not allowed to have in the house. To this day, I can remember. It was Captain Crunch. It was chocolate chips. It was store-bought cookies because we could only have homemade. And instead of enjoying my newfound freedom, 
I binged and I purged all night. I gained 80 pounds in less than six months. Page six, the big book. The remorse, the horror, and hopelessness of that next morning are unforgettable. The courage to do battle was not there. My brain raced uncontrollably and there was a terrible sense of impending calamity. So once again, I was off to see what new diet was out there for me because certainly if I just found that right one, it was going to work. I even did one that you were injected with pregnant women's urine because it was supposed to do something to your metabolism. And you bet, I lost weight. I think I lost 40 pounds on that one. It was until I took that first bite and I was like that ravenous animal. I would go to three fast food places on my way home and I know several of us have done this and I would even talk to the person taking the order going, oh, I really can't remember what my friend wanted. Oh, let's just get her a milkshake. And here I was. God knows how much I weighed. Wrappers in my car. Like they didn't know that all three of those Jumbo Jacks were for me. And then I would go home and go to my parents' house to do my laundry. And I would eat dinner, acting like I was hungry. All of this time thinking, this is a normal, everyday activity for me. Um, And then I would go home and I would eat again. And I would purge. Even with the purging, I couldn't get under 250 pounds. I would lay in bed with the wrappers all around me from bags of candies and chips and whatever, and that guilt was there. I would plead to God that I was raised with and, and say, if you would just let me live tonight and not have a heart attack, I would stay on the diet. It was like this bargaining relationship I had with God. I didn't have a real relationship. Sure, I believed in God, but not the way that I do today. So, of course, that resolve would last a few hours, and that next morning I would go um, and do it all over again. So a few years later, I had an opportunity to move away. It was about 300 miles away, and again, that was my ticket. I could leave behind my family, the mess, the people, the partying. Um, I was about 252 pounds and my heaviest yet. So I moved with 65 people um, with my current job, and we had a large house. I started to party more. But binging and purging were my my thing. And I started to spend more. I always was, um, you know, I was raised in an upper middle class family, so money wasn't an issue. And um, I spent like I had that money. And I got, I had already gotten probably $25,000 in credit card debt. And this was in 1981. So um, I tried more diets, more gym memberships, um, the soup diet, brown rice, hypnosis, And, of course, you know, diets work because calories in, calories out. That's not my problem. I just could not stay stopped. They were all successful until I took that first bite. And on page seven of the big book, it says, Understanding myself now, I fared forth in high hope. For three or four months, the goose hung high. I went to town regularly and even made a little money. Surely this was the answer, self-knowledge. But it was not, for the frightful day came when I drank once more. And, um... I never would read Bill's story before and understood it like I did today. So this was about 1982. I was purging maybe five to ten times a day. I was now 272 pounds. And I was binging while I was reading the newspaper. um, And I saw an article, and it was talking about a new way to lose weight. So, of course, I stopped on my track, and I said, oh, I've got to read this one. But it was different. It was an article about uh, what a woman did with food. And it was, she talked about how she ate like meat how she hid food, how she dieted, how she couldn't stop. Um, 
And it was about away. And it was like, hmm, maybe I need to call and see what it was. So I did. I called the 800 number. They got me in touch with a woman in my town. And I called her. And I broke down and I cried. Because um, it was the first time that I actually could talk to somebody who understood me. I went to a meeting. And I was I was told to have three meals a day with nothing in between to call people and to answer some questions on each step. And I was probably, I know I'm going to get the age wrong, but I don't know, 24, 25. So I lost 100 pounds, and I was thin, and I was abstinent. But I was still restless, irritable, and discontent. I was ego-driven. I was self-centered. I was selfish. I still disliked my parents. I didn't like my job. Why couldn't I keep a man? I was acting out sexually. I was spending. But I was thin. And um, I had a big book, and I did read it, uh, but it was more like I, I, a novel. I mean, nobody asked me questions about it, and that's not their problem. Um, I felt fat even though I was thin. I wanted to eat all the time. It was definitely white-knuckling it. I was not free. So that did, I did that for about three years, and I met um, my future husband. We were on our first date. And I went, well, you know, I've been absent for about three years. I could probably eat like he does. He offered me a bite of his french fries, and before it even hit my lips, that phenomenon of craving began. It grabbed me, and I could hardly wait for our date to be over because I wanted to go home and eat. And as soon as he dropped me off, I went into the kitchen, and I ate everything that my roommate had that I couldn't eat, and I binged and purged. So once again, I couldn't say stopped. I stopped calling my sponsor. I didn't take any more OA calls. I moved in with my boyfriend, and I started to gain weight rapidly. I was very, very afraid. What if he found out who and what I was? And, of course, I went on all these new diets, and I thought I was crazy. Even though I had OA in my brain, I couldn't stop. On page five of Bill's story, I woke up. This had to be stopped. I saw I could not take so much as one drink. I was through forever. Before then, I had written lots of sweet promises, but my wife happily observed that this time I meant business, and so I did. My husband had seen me go on so many diets, and he would always try to help me out. He was a nor- He's a normal eater. And um, so he you know, could only understand to a, a point. So now I was about mm, 269 pounds. I had lost a few. In 1994, I had a two-year-old. And my husband wanted our kids about two years apart. But I told him I needed to lose weight first. Well, about three more years went by, and now I was 277. New diet, same results. So I was 38. I could maybe get two days of being on a diet because I didn't go back to OA yet. I got pregnant weighing 265 pounds. I never could lose the weight. I returned to OA in 2001, and in um, and then oh, I started a new structured format of OA. I was given a gray sheet and told to follow it. I said, you know what, I'll try this for a day or two, but I'm not going to do it for 30 days. I was already arguing with the person. I mean, talk about ego-driven. I wasn't even going to listen to them. I got the same set of questions that I was given in 1981 and 1992, and it was like, oh, my God, can I really do this? I got abstinent. I worked the tools, not the steps. 
I was angry, resentful, and fearful, dishonest, bending, and drinking because, you know, hey, alcohol wasn't sugar. That's what I thought. Today I know differently. I was not remotely recovered. Once again, I lost 110, 120 pounds, and my husband saw my new renewed hope. On page five, Bill continued, shortly afterwards I came home drunk. There had been no fight. Where had been my high resolve? I simply didn't know. So now it's about 2006, and I started to slip, just like a pregnant woman, right? A little bit pregnant. I stopped calling my sponsor as much. I was busy with sponsees, life, work, kids, etc. I started to resent when my phone would ring. I was binging, and I started to purge, but I acted like all was well. My home life was falling apart. My kids, my job, everything was stressful. Stressful. I traveled all the time. So I gained about 60 pounds, again, in a short amount of time. I think it was like three months because I was eating so much. I was sneaking food, stealing it from work, eating my kids' Halloween candy, and letting my older son take the hit. Sounds familiar, kind of like when I did let my sister take the fall. I couldn't stop. I was a liar. I was a cheat. I was a gutter-level food addict. On page 31, it says, Most of us have been unwilling to admit we were real alcoholics. No person likes to think he is bodily and mentally different from his fellows. Therefore, it is not surprising that our drinking careers have been characterized by countless vain attempts to prove we could eat, drink like other people. The idea that somehow, someday, he will control and enjoy his drinking is a great obsession of every abnormal drinker. And that was me. I, I, I needed to do something. So once again... I went back to OA. I actually hadn't left, but I was barely working it. I was introduced to an even more structured OA format. I got clean with my food. I lost what I gained plus more. And I got those same questions again. So now I was size four. I was leading meetings. I was sponsoring. I was disliking my husband more and more. I was stressed about my job that I had worked at for 32 years because they were going to move the division. I was restless, irritable, and discontent. So I changed jobs after 32 years. I had an apartment in L.A. I would come home on the weekends. My kids were um, 16 and 12 or 11. I was sponsoring, speaking, and boy was I thin. I continued to do the same questions. I did read the big book sometimes, but I really didn't know it. I never really read We Agnostics because, hey, I believed in God. Um, I worked my tools again. Every day I had my little check sheet. On page 19, we feel that elimination of our drinking is but a beginning. A much more important demonstration of our principles lies before us in our respective homes, occupations, and affairs. Then I told myself that I deserved more, a better life. I returned some simple flirting with someone, and then more and more. I told myself it was okay because I wasn't happy. I believed a lie, like I did with the food. Illusion, delusion. Infidelity started. I even lost a few sponsors over it because I would list it on my 10-step review, but I justified it. How many people I had hurt. They say the food is the last to go. After almost three years of back-to-back absence and weighed and measured food, 
I made the decision to not follow my temporary sponsor's direction. I had a temporary sponsor because my sponsor let me go because of my dishonesty. Thank God for her. It was the beginning. I had a colonoscopy, and I awoke, and I picked up. My best friend picked me up and asked me where I wanted to eat. you got to remember, for almost three years, she was used to me having my little bag of food. And I said, oh, let's go to Chinese food. And she looked at me like I was crazy, but she went. I ate, and I ate. And then I walked to the bathroom in a Chinese restaurant, and I purged. And I repeated that. It was like it was just a normal occurrence. Page 30. We are convinced to a man that alcoholics of our type are in the grip of a progressive illness. Over any considerable period, we get worse, never better. The phenomenon of craving was in full force. I mean, this was after almost three years. I got home. I went to the store. I got every kind of binge food that I hadn't eaten for three years. And I binged and purged all night. It never occurred to me once to ask God because I didn't know God. I had not had my spiritual experience. I was only abstinent. So, of course, I left the rooms and I gained in my... Uh, I didn't want to go over. Um, I left and I gained weight rapidly as I tried other formats of OA. I could not do those questions again. So I totally left the rooms. I did more diets. I did more hypnosis. I went to therapy. I did pills, whatever. And I lost, I think, 20 pounds was the most I lost. So I was back up to, I'm assuming, 277 pounds plus. And... Um, I was dying. I spent that next two, that two and a half years eating, purging, spending, living dishonestly. I even left my husband because I thought that was going to work. It was going to fix everything. More pain, more harming others, and more weight gain. If I only found the right diet, even after all those years in OA, I still thought I could find that right diet. That's the lie I told myself. This disease is so strong. So it was, I could believe anything. Page 58, this is one of my favorites. Rarely have we seen a person fail who has thoroughly followed our path. Those who don't re, do not recover are people who cannot or will not completely give themselves to this simple program. Usually men and women who are constitutionally incapable of being honest with, them, with themselves. That was me. I was dishonest to the core. You know, I never really knew what my problem was. You know, I didn't know that it was a twofold illness, but I do know now. It's that mental obsession and the allergy of the body. And no diet will ever fix that. No hypnosis will ever fix that. No therapy will ever fix that. It's only having a spiritual experience by working these steps and living them. It was not about the food. It wasn't about the money. It was interesting. While I was um, out on my own, I spent about $13,000 in less than eight months. It was all part of the lie, the dishonesty. Um, I, the 25 years that I'd been with my husband, I was always sneaky with money. I wouldn't turn in my, my credit slips. I wouldn't account for the cash. We had the money, but it, I did this dishonesty. That's who I was. Liar, a cheat. That was me. I didn't have a food problem. I had a living problem. So now it was um, 
about uh, 15, 16 months ago, I went to my doctor and I asked him um, if he would perform the gastric bypass. And he said, no. He goes, I've seen you since you were 21 years old. You need to go back to OA. And I got so mad. It's like, how dare he tell me to go back to OA? So um, I continued to eat and I purged. And on, um, then I had to have a knee replacement again. Um, and I was, oh, my God, I don't know what I weighed, but I was that tight 22. I was probably 24. And I, I started to think, and I knew that I had made a huge mistake in leaving my husband. We started to talk, and he was fearful because I had caused great harm. He said we needed to take it slow. And he had one stipulation for me to return home. So I braced myself. It's like, okay, what is he going to say? He said I had to return to OA because he'd seen changes in me over the years and he wanted that woman that helped others like I did when we first met. I was afraid because it never worked before. I said yes. So I called a few members that I still stayed in contact with over the years and I asked for help. But I was getting ready to go on yet another business trip to Costa Rica, and I felt confident that I could get through it. I was going to start working my OA program that next week. So I was in my hotel room that I had stayed at many times before, and I walked by the mini fridge with nothing, no thoughts, nothing, because I was going to work OA when I got home. I came back the other way to go into the bathroom, and I stopped. I opened it up, and I ate every candy bar, every bag of chips, the popcorn, and I even drank the booze. And then I went and found the welcome basket that I had put in the closet. And I just sat there, and it's like, oh, my God, how did I do that again? Page 41. Not only had I been off guard, I had made no fight whatever against that first drink. This time I had not thought of the consequences at all. I had commenced to drink as carefully as though the cocktails were ginger ale. I now remembered what my alcoholic friend had told me, how they prophesied that if I had an alcoholic mind, the time and place would come, I would drink again. I had so much to lose. I hadn't even moved home yet. I was moving back the day I got home. I was so afraid. So I landed. I made a call on the drive home from the airport. I found a sponsor. I went back to my nutritionist. I got my food plan, and I started to weigh and measure. That was November 17th of 2012. And I cannot believe it. I was handed those same questions again. And I knew that I had to do something different. But right now, I just had to get abstinent. I was still in charge. I know I was still controlling with my kids. I was fearful. And I was still dishonest. I was still spending. And I still had some thoughts that I shouldn't. So... The obsession with spending and inappropriate thinking were still there. I was abstinent, and that was it. What was the matter with me? I had just moved home. I wanted to work with my husband, yet I wanted to eat, and I wanted to call someone, and I wanted to spend. I started having hookups with someone who every time I would share what was going on, she would say something out of the big book. She would tell me to go get my big book, and I went and found it, and I would highlight it. And it was like that light bulb was starting to turn on. Even though it was dim, I felt it. I asked her if she had room to sponsor me because I knew 
I could not do these questions anymore, that I couldn't just work the tools. I had to have that spiritual experience because I was still self-centered. So on page 62, it says, So our troubles, we think, are basically of our own making. They arise out of ourself. And the alcoholic is an extreme example of self-will run riot, though he usually doesn't think so. Above everything, we alcoholics must be rid of this selfishness. We must or it will kill us. And God makes that possible. So I was so afraid that I was going to return to the food and never be rocked into that fourth dimension. I didn't even know what that was, but I could hear it on people when they would share. And that's when I started listening to A Vision for You. And I knew I belonged. I wanted what people had on, on that meeting. I wanted not what they personally had, but that spiritual connection with God. How did they get that? How did they get to that, that fourth dimension? So I started um, to talk to this person more and more. And a few weeks, weeks later, she said she had an opening. And I jumped at that chance because she wanted to study the big book with me. So I made a transition from a very structured OA program I was working in. Um, I started focusing on the big book. I still weighed and measured my food. Um, I went to daily meetings. I called others. But I was working a relationship to find my God. Even though I had taken the first three steps, uh, my sponsor went over them again. You know, we talked a lot about Jim. You know, what happened to him? You know, he, I think he had six relapses. And um, I think it was Dr. Bob and Bill said something to the fact you failed to enlarge your spiritual life. I didn't have a spiritual life. I believed in God. And I kind of meditated and I did, you know, I did enough what I thought, but it wasn't. And my sponsor kept on asking me, how big is your God? Um, and I would look at her and say, well, of course, my God is everything. So we uh, started on the fourth step. And we went through the big book page by page. And a little at a time, I, I felt like this chink of my armor was falling away. And a little bit every day, I got to know who God was. And it scared me. So um, I have to admit, it was scaring me because I started to experience things that I never allowed myself to experience. So it took me about two months to complete my inventory. Every day I wrote, I followed a script that she gave me right out of the big book, and I saw where my faults had been, where I had been selfish, dishonest, where I was to blame. I saw direct correlations, and I was so shocked to wonder why I returned to the food. I shared my writing. I did a fear inventory. I had no idea that these fears were crippling me. I did a sex inventory. And a sex idea, just like it says in the big book, which I had never done before. I began to discover a little at a time who my God was. I think Bill said, Bill said on page 10, I had always believed in the power greater than myself. Like Bill, I was not an atheist, but I didn't have a real relationship with God. I was raised Catholic, and I left that as soon as I moved out of the house. I tried other churches, and then I would stop. I could, my sponsor continued to ask me, how big is my God? But I still had some thoughts about the food and about calling a certain person, and I still was spending. Again, my sponsor pointed me to the big book. Page 43. Once more, the alcoholic at certain times has no mental, no effective mental defense against the first bite, except in a few cases 
he nor any human being can provide such a defense. His defense must come from God. So again, she asked, how powerful is my God? We went over every paragraph in We Agnostics, and I finally got to see what my problem was. I had always believed in God, but I didn't know God. So on page 45, lack of power, that was my dilemma. We had to find a power by which we could live, and it had to be a power greater than ourselves. So my power, so getting power is my solution. I didn't say solve my food problem, right? Because food was not my problem. It was my symptom. I had to remember that step one had two parts, and I was always only working the first. We admitted we were powerless over food. When it's in me, in my body, I have that physical allergy that will always lead me to the phenomenon of craving. When the food's not in me, it's the mind, the mental obsession that leads to ineffectiveness of self-knowledge, the strange mental blank spots. The second half of step one has nothing to do with food, that our lives had become unmanageable. That's the will. This has to do with my life, my actions, my attitudes, my efforts, and my results. Spiritual malady that leads to the unmanageability. So, you know, I was really good at working the first um, half of the first step. Um, So fast forward to finishing my inventory and making my amends. That was very hard. I had a lot of amends to do. And I still didn't know my God like I know him today. I didn't let God know all my life, but only certain parts of it. And on page 53, Bill said, God is everything or he is nothing. God is either, God either is or he isn't. What was our choice to be? So on February, I began, as I said, my inventory. And I was shocked about the lies I told myself. I did a resentment sheet for each person. I did a fear sheet. I did a sex inventory, as I said before. After I finished my sex inventory, my sponsor had me follow directions in the dick book. And it was there, black and white, that I had to come up with an idea. And, um, you know, I was going to share a little bit about my inventories and what it looked like. My fear inventory had a few simple questions. What is the fear? Why do I have this fear? How does self-reliance fail me? And God, please remove my fear and direct my attention to what you would have me be. I never, I never looked at it that way. And on my sex inventory, where was I selfish, dishonest, inconsiderate? Where did I arouse jealousy and suspicion and bitterness? What is my sex idea? And I, um, I carry that around me. One, I will not flirt with anyone besides my husband. I will not wear inappropriate clothes. I will not engage in any inappropriate discussions. I will not have relationships on Facebook with anybody who would cause jealousy. So, you know, who am I today? You know, I can say that I'm a honest, caring, giving mother, wife, friend. But I didn't get that way until I cleaned up my mess. I had to go and make amends to people that I had caused great harm with. 
I had made amends before, but they were very superficial. I even made amends to my sister one of the times I was in program. I said, you know, I know that you're a sick person, but let me tell you, I'm sorry for my actions. That's not what the big book tells you how to go and make amends. They tell you to go make amends and be humble. When I made amends to my husband for all the harms that I had caused, I prayed before I did it. I went over it with my sponsor. And I was humble. And I had God in my heart. And um, I am now now back home. Uh, I've been home for since um, Halloween of a year ago. And I... um, I'm a, I'm an honest woman. Um, how do I how do I stay that way? How do I stay abstinent? How do I stay um, truthful? As I live in ten, eleven, and twelve, um, there was something I had wanted to share. Um, after after I did my fifth step, it talks about going um, in a quiet place for an hour and and seeing if you've missed anything. That's something I had never done before the many times I was in OA. You know, I did it for like 10 minutes. This time I lit sage. I lit my candles. I had my drumming music with me. And I emerged myself in my bathtub with herbs. And I cried. And I cried. And it was so cleansing. I I knew. I knew. I didn't skip anything. And I went through the steps because six and seven, you were do this alone. I had my list. I went through it methodically. It wasn't easy. It took me a few months. Actually, I just finished my last one last night. It was one that I, I didn't want to do. And it's done. And um, I live in 10 and 11 and 12. And somewhere during this process, my God, my creator, my great spirit became the most important thing in my life. Not Julie being the center of attention, not Julie being the the best mom, the best wife, the best employee, the best employer, but God. And so I wake up in the morning and the first thing I do is I thank my great spirit. And then I go and I start my day. I um, pray, I drum, I meditate. And when I'm at a stop sign, I thank my creator for gifts because everything is a gift, even if it's turmoil. And when I go home and when I lay my head before I sleep, I again thank my great spirit for everything. I do a review. Um, and I um, share it with my sponsor or I email it to her or I give it to God. And what else I do is I do um, a God letter every night. And if I don't do it in writing, I do it in um, my head. And um, I I have to do that because if I don't stay in 10, 11, and 12, I'm going to become that woman again. And I, I, I really believe that I've had that spiritual transformation because I am not a cheat. I'm not a liar. I'm not vindictive. I, um, 
you know, I could say that I'm a um, a woman of of honor. So, step twelve. It's about service. And Dr. Bob, I don't know where I read this, but I think it was in Dr. Bob and the Good Old Timers. He says that you could boil the 12 steps down to a few simple words, love and service. Love them, get to know them, and take them through the steps. That's something my sponsor told me. I have a responsibility to pass this message of recovery on, the message of hope. You know, it's not an option. If I want to stay recovered, I need to do this. On page 89, it says, Practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as an intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. Page 97. Never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you are doing the right thing if you assume them. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the good Samaritan every day, if need be. It may mean the loss of many nights' sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. So I take people through the steps. I don't do it perfectly. I just had to write a sponsor, sponsee ideal because I had a situation that didn't work out too well. So, you know, I'm learning. Every day I get to learn. But I, I do that by making amends as soon as something happens. Um, so, yeah, I sponsor. I take calls. Um, I'll answer texts if I'm at the dinner table and I see that it's something important. I also have to set boundaries. But, you know, we don't have a – it's not an option to be of service or not. We have to take people through the steps because for us and the still-suffering compulsive overeater, um, I mean, sharing my story today is being of service. Uh, so, yeah, today I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. I'm not cured. Um, I know that I have um, a stay of execution every day, and it's based on my relationship with my creator. You know, I I, I made a drum, um, and I drum. I, drum. I was doing that last night, and I asked my creator to just help me say something to be of service because this is not about me. Uh, to, to me, you know, what does being recovered mean? Is to get back, is to regain, is to restore oneself to a normal state. And my normal state is being a beloved child of my creator. So, um, gosh, I hope I didn't go over. I didn't even look at the clock again, but that's about it. That's me. <laughs> Julie, thank you so much for sharing with us your personality change sufficient to bring about recovery and sharing your experience, strength, and hope with us this morning on A Vision for You. We appreciate all your time and energy. And now we're going to open the floor for any questions for Julie this morning. You can direct your question by pressing star 1 to unmute and identifying yourself. Good morning, Julie. This is uh, Mary Lee, also in California. I have a question. Hi. Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Good morning, Mary Lee. Go ahead. Um, on your God letter, could you talk a little more about that? Um, sure. It's um, 
I think like last night I'll start with, you know, my creator. I, I thank my creator for um, a day of family time. I thank my creator for my husband and all that he does from making, you know, having all my vegetables to cut up to, you know, going out into my meditation area and cleaning it up. I always want to be in a thankful spirit, um, especially with my husband, because I never want to forget what a great man he is. And I, I thank my creator for my children and being able to be with them. And we had uh, company the other day. And I thank them for having a great visit with family, uh, for being um, honest that day. So it's just like a, you know, it's a couple paragraphs and I'll, I'll have a prayer in it. Um, it's not, you know, it's just whatever comes out of my heart. I don't know if that answered your question, but. Absolutely. Thank you. Thank you, Mary Lee, for the question. Who's next? This is Cheryl from Maryland. Hi, Cheryl. Go ahead with your question. Um, thank you so much for your lead. Um, what's your name again? I'm sorry. Mary. Julie. 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 Hi, Julie. Thank you so much for your lead. I got so much out of your share. I can relate on every level. And you were talking to Bill's story. I'm going to reread that and reread that because... I, too, um, just continue to white-knuckle. I just have struggles in my um, abstinence and um, just the honesty of the program and, well, just being honest, period. And, you know, I wanted to ask you a question about sponsorship, though. Like, I feel like I, I do have a sponsor, but I feel like we don't talk about the steps, um, my tools much at all or anything um, unless I bring it up. And I have been sort of, I know it's not my her responsibility to keep me abstinent, but I just feel like I keep coming back to this place of do I have the right sponsor? And, you know, why can't I get this thing? And, you know, what do I need to do? How do I need to get started? I'm not sure. I'm confused a little bit. Well, for me, um, in no fault of of any of my other sponsors, but um, a lot of you know people, in, I mean, all my experiences with OA, I, I really never was um, indoctrinated in the big book. So when I when I started to hear people that that lived this way and had that spiritual experience, when I when um, I started working with my big book sponsor. Uh, it was amazing um, because she, every time I would share something, she went right to the big book and gave her own experience. So I would, um, you might want to just start talking to other people and um, asking them. That's what I did. I mean, I saw her and what her transformation was, and I asked her to be my sponsor because I knew, I knew I needed more. I had to dive into the, I had to dive into the steps. I had to have this um, because I would go back to the food. I would go being back mm-hmm. to that woman. I would go spend. How, how often did y'all work together on, on, in the book book? Once a week, well, twice a week? No, I worked with my sponsor every day. And um, I wrote and I shared and I wrote and I shared. And now we, um, I, I, gosh, we're doing um, two days a week. And I'll text her, though. I, I still, you know, for me, this is my gig. Um, I email her my food. I like to do that. Um, she doesn't have to comment on it. I, If I have a food change, I just text her. I don't re- 
you know, get a response. Um, that's just how I work it. I email her my um, review um, most of the time when I don't talk to her, not every time. Um, so we talk about two days a week, and, and it's always we, we're going through working with others. So there's, um, I, we stay in the big book. Thank you. Thank you, Cheryl, for the question. Who's next? Questions for Julie. This is Susan. Hi, Susan. Good morning. Hi. Good morning to both of you, and thank you both so much. I'm on a train, so please forgive the background noise. Um, and I will mute right after I ask the question, so I'll thank you in advance for your response so you don't, I don't have to burden you guys with my noise. Okay. So um, I, I loved I loved all that you said, and particularly the part where you focused on the fact that, you know, the food is not the symptom and that we can put the food down. And then there's still that second part of the first step, that unmanageability that has to do with the will. And, you know, you spoke of, and we see in, um, in Bill's story, and I see in my own um, path, that, that it's that faulty dependency that gets in the way, and that that can go well beyond the food, and you spoke of the sneakiness and all, which I can relate to in other areas of life. I wondered if you could expand on um, the notion of looking at how powerful your God is and, and looking at the agnostics and what kind of work you did to look at the other areas in your life where um, these character defects manifest. And now I'll mute. Thanks so much. Well, the funny thing is we agnostics, like I said, I had never, ever even cracked it. I would always skip it because I, I, I had a God. You know, I was raised Catholic. I, I know God is all-powerful, but I didn't um, experience God <clears throat> in certain areas. One, um, I was fearful because, oh, my gosh, if I let God in, then I was going to have some big catastrophe. You know, you hear these people that, you know, I, I don't want to be like Job, right? So, you know, gee, how selfish is that? <clears throat> so um, when we started going through each paragraph, I got to see how uh, limiting I was, how I didn't trust God and that I didn't want to include God. And that was all to do with my selfishness and my self-centeredness. So once that started to break free and I started to sit still and go over line by line, I started to have a release, a release of Julie. So as my ego got smaller, my God consciousness got bigger. And um, that it started when I was um, releasing all of that stuff uh, after my fifth step. And it just grew. And I just sat. And, you know, I'm Native American. And, um, you know, I always would dabble in that. But I never gave myself fully to anything. And I just started to um, get into my culture a little bit more. And as I did, uh, God just flourished. But it was as a result of me finding out who I was. You know, I had to get through all that stuff. I had to see how self-centered, selfish, run, you know, what is that, self-will run riot. <clears throat> and that was the beginning. Uh, but it happened because of, of going through we agnostics. 
It did. I mean, I, I, I encourage anybody to do that with your sponsor, line by line. I hope I answered your question. Thank you, Julie. Thank you, Susan, for the question. This is Sherry. May I share? Yes. A question, please. Thank you. Oh, uh, this is Sherry Kay, and I'm a compulsive overeater from um, Georgia. Um, Julie, thank you so, so much for sharing and, and uh, telling us your story. Because for me, I could I could so relate. and It, it just, it's, you know, I am not unique. Um, and so when I hear your story, it's like, oh, I, I just, um, um, I'm not so different, and I'm not unique, and and I like that. You know, I used to want to be different and unique, and uh, all about the attention and me, me, me. And so I, I just want to thank you for your um, for your sh- for your sharing. Thank you. I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sherry. Who's next with a question for Julie? Hi, this is Jerry in Michigan. Hi, Jerry. Go ahead. Hi. Thank you, Judy, for your um, share. I don't usually, you know, talk. I'm always quiet in the background. But when I was listening to your share, and I just related to everything, and it just sounded, and I did this, and I have done the same thing. And it's, and when you were sharing about all the things that you have done, it just sounded so exhausting. And it made me think about myself because I have answered all the questions in different programs in a way. And my question was, how did you deal with the mentalness? Because I work with my sponsor, but, you know, I still have that, the mentalness that I just have to constantly keep battling when it comes to uh, the food. I still, I'm abstinent, but I still want it at times. Well, I did too, and... um you know, it, 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 I'm, I'm trying to find the page, but when it talks about if we think that, you know, being sober is it's it, it's more to it. I mean, we're, we have got to trust, right? And, and I had to go deeper and deeper and deeper because abstinence was not it. I knew it. I mean, I had to have it. Don't get me wrong. You have to put the food down. I, will, I cannot have my alcoholic food. I just don't eat when I want to. I, I follow a, a plan from my nutritionist. But then here comes the flip side. It's that relationship with God. When I finally got that, I would go to God. I, I, you know, when, when, I, when, I, when I had that change, that shift in my ideas... I I don't want food anymore. I and it's so funny. And my husband's standing right here, and um, I don't sneak with money. I give them the slips as soon as I um, spend. I don't give my kids money on the side, and that's happened only by having that psychic change, and it only happens by working the steps. I can't get the psychic change any other way, and um, and it's by following the exact prescription in this book because it tells you exactly how to do everything and when I finally did it exactly as the big book said go figure I had my spiritual experience so um, if you're doing something different than what's outlined in the big book 
um, you're not going to have the same results like I did. Thank you, Jerry, for the question. Who's next? Hello. Yes. Hello. Hi. Good morning. Thank you, Leah and Julie. This is Sippy from Canada, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Thank you. Um, I really identified, and I can't thank you enough. But I have a question about sponsoring. I was just wondering, the way you said that you worked every day with your sponsor, um, going through the big book, um, is that how you work with your sponsees? You know, it depends. I do have one sponsee that I talk to um, almost every day. Um, the other I'm talking about working the steps, not like with the food or emailing the. Oh, food, I don't. But we don't even talk about food. Book. Okay, yeah, I don't. So we going don't... through the big book. Um, is yes, that I do. how you work with your sponsees on a daily basis? So it depends. Again, like I was saying, um, mm-hmm. I have one sponsee right. I talk to almost every day, and we go through the big book. The other sponsees um, are living in 10, 11, and 12, so I talk to them three times a week, but it's the big book. We, the food is, I mean, we don't even talk about the food because right. it's down. Okay. So we, we um, go through the big book. Okay, no, because when I work with my sponsees, I go through the big book, but... I do it the way I was sponsored, which I didn't ask any questions. I was so desperate. I just—I mean, mostly it was once a week until, like, I had to give over my fifth step. But mostly it was once a week for an hour. And um, I thought it was sort of that way so it could really be internalized and I had homework to do with it. And I was just wondering which way is the better way, I guess, um, we have to figure that out together. It's also yeah, a matter I think, of time, and I can have that many sponsees. So this is new right. to me. So okay, can yeah, I have I, your I number? It, Would you share your number, and maybe I could ask sure. you about that. Okay. It's uh, five three zero nine zero six three five one nine. And what time zone? What is that? A specific. Pacific Standard Time. Oh, okay. Great. And thank you so, so much for your service. Thank you, everyone on the line. Have a wonderful day. Can you repeat the number, please? I will repeat Uh, that number. Tippy, thank you very much. The number is 530-906-3519. Julie's located on the West Coast, so Pacific Time. Thank you again, Tippy, for the question. Who's next? Question Hi, this is Sheila from New York. Sheila, go ahead. Hi, good morning. Um, this is Sheila H. from New York, compulsive overeater. Julie, thank you so very much. What a heartfelt and warming journey. Thank you for sharing that with us and so encouraged by what you said, many things of what you said. The question I had was around you mentioned each time as you went through your journey they kept offering you the same questions, and like almost to a point that it was irritating me, like I'm back to these same questions. What shifted that last time for you? It probably was your spiritual work, but if you could talk a little bit about that. Was there resentment or feelings around these specific questions that they present to you, and what what shifted that last time they shared those questions with you 
and you said, here I go again with these questions. Was there something missing that you weren't getting in those questions? Thanks, and thanks again for your share. Um, great question. Yes, there was definitely something missing, and I knew I had done these so many times before, and they didn't work. And it wasn't the question's fault, right? It, 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 but it, I knew I could not have my spiritual experience by doing them again, or I would have already had them. Um, again, the questions themselves weren't bad. I mean, some of them had some big book passages, but it was pretty much about the food. Um, I, d- I wanted more than just the abstinence. I was abstinent. I needed, I needed God. And how was I going to get to God by answering these questions? So I did have a resentment. It was really funny because the, the person I had asked to be my sponsor, and at that time she couldn't, she had had me do, a, I believe, a resentment form around the program I was working. And um, so that was very helpful. But I did, it was that still, small voice. It was my creator was already starting to talk to me saying, you need more, you need more, you need more. So, uh, and I listened to it. And, I, and, and I'm grateful because I, if I didn't, if I had still continued the path I was continuing, um, it's been 13 months, I'm sure I would have been either spending, I probably would have um, created so much havoc returning home and I would have been into the food because that had always happened that way. And so it led me to God because um, I, knew, I knew I needed more. Like I said, the questions weren't bad. They just weren't getting yeah. into my spiritual experience. Thank you, Sheila, for the question. Who's next? Hi, Hi good morning. This is Liz L. from California. Hi, Liz. Go ahead. Good morning, everybody. Um, thank you so much, Julie, for your story. It was really profound for me and about the first step. Of, I've been um, absent from bulimia for two months, and um, I think I found a sponsor. I'm going to start working with her today. Um, and I have a question because what I've been a restrictor bulimic, and even if I have my food plan and just a few nuts afterwards, my thinking goes crazy. And then I start, you know, even that little bit is like, to me, I'm overeating. And then I start restricting. And the other night I didn't eat enough. And so that even not even eating enough made my thinking crazy. You know, how, um, I know that's the obsession of the mind, the addiction, but how can food be so powerful like that? Or is it the mind? Anyway, thank you. Well, I mean, it, like I was saying before, you know, it's that two-fold, two-fold illness. Um, it is that strong. And it'll happen every time. And, and if I, once I have that, had that spiritual awakening, though, food becomes neutral. No, I'm not saying I'm going to go eat my alcoholic foods. I'll never eat them. But it's the fact that I don't want them. They don't have power because... God is my power. I mean, I, I was able to bake for weeks for Christmas and be neutral about it because it was a service for my family and my friends. But I couldn't have done that even last year when I was absent because the obsession had not been removed. I still wanted. I still wanted it. Uh, after I ate, I was still wanting. I saw my husband eat something. I wanted it. But once you go through the steps and you get to experience that freedom 
you'll be neutral. It talks about that. You're going to recoil from a hot flame. It's going to happen automatically. It's neutral. You're placed in a position of neutrality. That has nothing to do with me. That had to do with my great spirit coming into my life and, and causing that change. So it's just, you know, it says, you know, we just got to be diligent. We continue to work. And the best way, if you're having cravings or the obsession, you work with another person once you're recovered. Um, it, it's going to happen. I mean, it, if we, if you follow this prescription, you're going to get the results. Thank you, Joe. Thank you, Liz, for your question. Who's next? Jason. Hi, this is Janice from Pennsylvania. I heard Jason first and then Janice, I believe. Go ahead, Jason. Thank you. Um, thank you very much for your share today. My question has to do with uh, with your statement that you had been raised Catholic and then that you, something like you had known, you, I guess you had grown up with God, but you never really knew him. And my question is about um, the transition from, from that state of mind to where you are now. And was there, uh, was there any guilt with your act of redefining uh, God for yourself? And if there was, how did you deal with that process? Um, <laughs> funny you should say that. Not, I had dealt with the guilt the time before I was in a way when I was shifting um, because that is huge. Um, and I'm not saying it's huge for Catholics. It was huge for me um, that it would be blasphemy if I believed in a different way. But um, I think it was, well, actually, I, it was part of my inventory, my um, my religion that I was brought up with that was on my resentment list. So it was a process. And as my creator got bigger, there wasn't any any guilt or shame. It was uh, just replaced with um, contentment. So yeah, it's a process. I mean, I didn't just you know wake up one day and just throw away all my beliefs and start anew. Um, but I you know I talked about it with my sponsor. Um, I talked about it with other recovered people, and then. Um, it eventually was non-existent. Thank you. Thank you, Jason, for your question. And I believe it's Janice had the next question. Hi, this is Janice from Pennsylvania. Thank you, Julie, so much for your sharing. Um, Your honesty and humility and um, courage to be so honest with so many people um, was really touching and helpful. And um, I've been in LA for 18 years. I just celebrated 16 years abstinent. I do have a personal relationship with a higher power. And, you know, I've worked the steps through, you know, different, um, with like groups. And, you know, I believe I, well, I have had that spiritual awakening. My, I found that when you were sharing about, you know, working with a sponsor and working with others, using a big book, my heart is just aching because I long to do that, but I feel so ill-equipped. Um, you know, I'm not a student, I'm not a, um, I'm not good at memorizing things or, you know, like that's not my strength. And, you know, I've struggled this for, with a while, for a while I've struggled with this and I've talked to different people and they said, well, your strengths are in different areas. But, you know, I just long to be able to sponsor people using the big book, um, 
I'm feeling that maybe I should get a sponsor who uses the big book first, but I don't know. So I just wanted to get your feedback on that. And then also, if you know where I could find a sponsor who uses the big book, um, that would be really helpful. Thank you. Mm-hmm. Um, well, for me, I only sponsored using those questions, right? Because that's all I knew. So when I started to get into the big book, um, I had to have somebody teach me. I had to go through it. I had to live it. I had to experience it. Because I can't take somebody else through something that I haven't done. And so for me, again, I'm talking about my own personal journey, I couldn't go through the big book with a sponsee if I hadn't gone through it with my sponsor. Um, so, yeah, I, would, I mean, I definitely would encourage that. Um, and, you know, every day on A Vision for You, there's an after meeting and people um, sometimes will say that they have uh, available. But you know what? If you talk to somebody and you hear that transformation, you see what they were before and how they lived their life today, ask them. That's what I did. Even though, you know, my sponsor said she didn't have um, time she didn't have an opening, we were still talking as a hookup. And then, you know, God made her available. That's how I look at it. <laughs> but definitely I would um I would suggest you be go through the steps first via the big book and um then you can you be able to do the same thing. Okay. Um is there a list on the website of people that are available to sponsor? Uh I don't think so, no. Okay, so it's the after meeting. Mm-hmm. Okay, thank you so much. Thank you, Janice, for your question. And we have some time for a couple more questions. Anyone else? Canada? I'm sorry, I missed your name. Go ahead. Harit from Canada. Harit, go ahead. Hello? Yes. Go ahead, please, with your question. I do. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. Um, I'll tell you, my my question is um, more, I guess, on your step one and step two area, especially coming from um, people who usually come into program. We have a lot of resentment, and I should just talk about myself. So I came with a lot of resentment. How do I um, go from that place of resentment and anger towards God um, and then turn that to surrender and... I love. How do I cha- how do I make that? Because it's a drastic change to to take that to make that step two and step three. And um, I just maybe if you could give me some feedback on that area. I had a lot of resentments. Oh boy, um, and I had to do it in order. Um, you know, when I um, started my four step, and I had the you know the first sheet when it talks about I'm resentful at. You know, it could be in my job, the cause, because after 32 years, they wanted to move to a different state. You know, what did it affect? But then my sponsor gave me this other sheet, um, and it's part of the big book. It's selfish. What did I want or not want in this resentment? Look for my mistakes, dishonesty. What is the lie I was telling myself in this resentment? Self-seeking. What did I do to get what I wanted in this resentment? Afraid. What was I afraid of losing or not getting? Blame. Where was I to fault in the spiritual truth? 
If God was sitting across from you, he or she knows the truth but wants to hear it from you. What is your spiritual truth? I did this with each and every resentment I had. And that's when I saw those patterns. And I got to see, again, it's, it's Julie. It's, it's that resentment, that selfishness, that self-centeredness. Um, and once I saw those patterns, I was shocked. And that's when the healing began. But I had to put them on pen and paper. It even says, uses those words, pen and paper. You know, we had to do the inventory. We had to see where we were at fault. I couldn't do anything until I actually did that. And then today, when I do my daily inventory, um, you know, um, and I uh, send it to my sponsor, it's got specific questions, and I'll just share a couple of them. Um, I can get it on my email here. Uh, but it's... Um, I printed it. Sorry about that. Um, it's five things I'm grateful for. I'll read you last night. My creator, enjoying my house guest, drumming, going to the gym, and 70-degree weather. Was I resentful? Nothing comes to mind. Was I selfish? Yes, a bit. I wanted to get some work done, but my husband wanted my attention. Was I afraid? Nothing stands out. Do I owe an apology or an amends? No, it was a pretty even day. No restless, irritable discontentment. Have I kept something to myself that should be discussed with another person? No. Was I kind and loving towards all in my head or my words? I did a little character assassination about my father and my sister to my niece. Five things that I did today. God, I did my cards, I drummed, I prayed, and I meditated. Program. I listened to a meeting, I worked with my sponsees, I talked to a recovered person, I was abstinent. World. I was available and I recycled. Myself. I went to the gym, I read for enjoyment, and I drummed. Family. I went to the gym with my son, and I hung out with my niece and nephew, and I held hands with my husband on all our outings. What character defects came up? Judgmental. Did I ask God for forgiveness? Yes. Corrective measures to put in place? Acceptance. What is my plan for the day? To speak at the meeting, get a massage with my boys, go to the gym, and just relax. So I do that every night, and that kind of like points out any kind of resentments that I have. And then I don't stay in them. And then my corrective measures, well, today i got to work on you know, not being judgmental. So I need to be accepting of, of others. And um, most days I have <laughs> something I need to work on. And because it tells us that, it says when these things crop up, we deal with them immediately. So, yeah, to, to get rid of a resentment, you got to do the work. Thank you for the question. So, Thanks, Lord, Julie. Can I just continue for a second? Um, Go ahead. So then what you're saying is that it's a process and the resentment against God um, doesn't immediately go away when you take step one and step two. No, it doesn't. And mine didn't. Uh, my resentments didn't go away. Yeah, until I was in the ninth step, almost done with them. Okay. Thanks, Julie. And thank you, Leah. Thank you. Anyone else before we wrap up this morning? This is Rachel. Do you have time for one more? Rachel, your turn. Thank you very much. All those words that you just listed that you go through at night, are they in the big book? What you're grateful, that whole list? Or are they on the lot on the internet? 
Uh, oh, no, that's just something that my sponsor gave me as an outline to do. And uh, But, I mean, it is in the big book because it asks us, you know, were you restless? I mean, were you resentful? Were you selfish? What are your corrective measures going to be? So, yeah, it's all in uh, the section of um, into action um, or how it works. So it's just kind of like I put, you know, it's put to a format that I can just easily work on. Thank you very much. Thank you, Rachel. Anyone else out there with questions? Can you her number again, please? Her phone number? The phone number? Yes, Julie's phone number is as follows. It's 530-906-3519. Again, 530-906-3519, Pacific Time. And when is she available to take calls, please? Um, I'm up fairly early. I'm up, well, I'm up at 4 to listen to the meeting. But so typically after 5 a.m. and until about 9.30 at night. Thank you. Thank you, Julie. Anyone else with questions regarding what was shared this morning before we bid farewell? Okay, I'll take the silence as a no. Julie, thank you again for your time and sharing with us uh, your journey, your personal transformation as a result of the steps of the program of recovery. We thank you very much. And I'm going to close this special edition meeting the way A Vision for You always closes its meetings, and that's from the reading on page 164. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you. Until then.